You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. The Bible truth is that Israel is God's land. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org. Now Israel, as God's land, has its roots from Abraham and not from Palestine. Bible prophecy taught that Israel would return and re-establish as a nation and that was fulfilled actually in 1948. Jerusalem eventually will become the capital of the whole world. This is prophesied in the scriptures. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns under God's command and then it will be purified. The world will be purified and under a righteous global reign with Christ as King over the whole earth. Bible truth. Israel is God's land. What is truth? I extracted this that I'm about to say from Wikipedia, having entered a search with the inquiry, what is truth? There was that much information and that much unusual information about what is truth that I narrowed it down. The English word comes from an old world etymology, centering upon the idea of having good faith. It's based upon the notion of being steadfast as an oak. Truth is the property of being in accord with fact or reality, and it's usually held to be the opposite to what is false. Well, Two prime points that I pick up on here are, one, truth is the property of being in accord with fact or reality, and two, it is usually held to be the opposite of false. Clearly, what is fact or reality will not ever find universal agreement or acceptance, The world today has its own views on truth, fact and reality. And for this reason, to say that it is the opposite of falsehood might sound reasonable, but even that concept is wide open to debate in the minds of the philosophical. But let's agree with a definition that allows that truth is is the opposite of falsehood. And if we can do that we might build a platform that accepts Bible truth. Several words in the Bible that are translated as truth. The main Hebrew word is the word emeth, and the main Greek word is the word aletheia. The Hebrew word is defined by the Briggs-Driver-Brown lexicon as the truth of testimony, sureness, reliability. And the Greek word, according to Thayer's lexicon, basically means what is true in reality and in fact, opposing alike the superstitions of the Gentiles and the inventions of the Jews and the corrupt opinions and false precepts. Now, in considering our subject, we are constrained to do so within the parameters of the Bible. That's our subject, Bible truth. For me, it's a truism to say that accepting such as truth is having good faith, and its declarations are as steadfast as an oak. Taking those two ideas from the Wikipedia, as I mentioned at the outset. Now, the Bible proclaims its own authority. It's been on record for millennia 
And if we accept it as true, a fact of history that Jesus Christ lived, then we can heed his assertion that God's word is truth. Aletheia. In John 17, verse 17. Truth is the great separating force between fact and falsehood. It's a difference between light, that's truth, and darkness, falsehood. Equating light and truth, the psalmist implores in Psalm 43, O send thy light forth and thy truth, emeth. Let them lead me, he says. Now we need that beacon to shine, else we won't see it. So the God of truth, as he's spoken of in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, the God of truth can give us signposts that demonstrate his word as having good faith. What he pronounces can be embraced as being steadfast as an oak. And that's what you want. That's what we need. Something that we can hold as good faith that is steadfast as an oak and we believe that is what God's word presents. Words that are dependable, reliable and sure. Such as was stated as a fact more than 200 years before they came to pass, for example, because God declared that it would happen and it did when prophecy was fulfilled and his word became truth, in fact, with the example of Daniel 11, stating categorically, well in advance of the momentous world event that it spoke of, that the leader of the Grecian Empire would overthrow the king of the Persian Empire. The angel which uh, spoke uh, to Daniel, <coughs> sorry, those prophetic words on God's behalf about what would come to pass, <clears throat> the rise and the fall of these two empires, with the words were designed, it says, to confirm and to strengthen. And he says, I will now show you the truth. That's in Daniel 11, verses 1 to 2. He's going to show him the truth. And that truth would strengthen him and encourage him, it says. History has borne out what he declared, what that angel declared to Daniel about what would happen was steadfast as an oak. It did happen in that same way as was prescribed in advance. Yes, we're considering truth now from divine, the divine perspective when it comes to God's own handbook for mankind because this book... The Bible is designed by God. It's by him and it's given by him for one specific purpose, to instruct us and ultimately save us. His word enlightens our minds to delve into his mind. That knowledge can give us eternal life, stated Jesus in John 17 and verse 3. And we will only find it in the Holy Scriptures, given to holy men of God who wrote under his inspiration. Second Timothy 3 verses 15 to 16 tell us. Now hopefully I've demonstrated to you that God's word is truth and it can be relied on as presenting factual statements and teachings which we can accept as having good faith because we now want to look at those statements that concern the land of Israel as our subject title requires. Now it's an undeniable fact observed by the most cursory reading of the Bible that Israel features prominently within its pages we can state that it is primarily a book about Jews and their nation. From their foundation and through into our days now and those days yet ahead of us. It's covering a period of more than 4,000 years of history. Now that's a pretty long period of time in anyone's reckoning. About one group of people. 
Now, if this is one of the main themes of the book, then we should have plenty to consider under this subject, Bible truth. Israel is God's land. It's his book. It's his truth. It's his land. This land we call Israel. The Jews claim right to it. They say it's their inheritance based on the ancient scriptures and we will explore this idea in some detail. But first, what about the Palestinians? I don't pretend to be an expert in this field. I only relate what I've read in this area. But that name was applied to the territory of Judea subsequent to the Roman Empire expelling the Jews from their land after 135 AD. Rome ultimately renamed it Palestina to rid history of any connection with the land to Jewry. It was a Latin pronunciation for the land of the Philistines. Those are the people who cohabited with Israel from the days of Joshua, or before the days of Joshua, but from the days of Joshua with Israel, uh, some 1400 years BC. So Palestine, the Latin uh, name Palestina. Following that Jewish diaspora, and over the ensuing ages, back in the early days of the second century, Small numbers of Arab set, Arabs settled across the region. They came mainly from up in uh, the area of Syria and Lebanon uh, and down in the other area to the east uh, that we now know as Jordan. It was not, not recognised by the name Palestina during all those years, uh, particularly under the time of the Ottoman rule, for those hundreds of years that the Ottomans reigned, that name was not used. It's been suggested that the name Palestine was reintroduced by a cartographer acting for Napoleon Bonaparte. Then it was used by 19th century Christian pilgrims who started to uh, visit the land, the Holy Land as they called it, and it was referred to by Bible-reading British politicians such as Lord Balfour, and it was discussed under that name of uh, Palestine at the 1920 San Remo Conference. But it wasn't until 1988 that the name Palestine was officially acknowledged by the United Nations Organisation. These Palestinians or the, these people uh, that uh, adopted this land, they weren't called Palestinians at the time, the occupiers of the land um, were referred to in the 1917 Balfour Declaration as simply as existing non-Jewish communities. The term Palestinian came into vogue in 1964. Prior to that, those living in scattered settlements went by the name Palestinian Arabs. And they generally spoke of the land as being southern Syria. They referred to it as southern Syria. The PLO was formed in 1964. Its first chairman was born in Lebanon. One of the better known leaders, Arafat, was born in Egypt. However, it wasn't until the Six-Day War that the name Palestine gained some international traction. As I intimated, these people are not descendants from the ancient, Palestine, the ancient Philistines. Right? They're not from the ancient Philistines. They are Arabs that have migrated into this territory from various countries around the Middle East and uh, principally the, Le the Levant area, those places I just mentioned, and they have no 
ancient history, no ancient historical attachment to this land. They had no historic rulers, they have no, they have no coinage that's been minted, and, and so on. The purpose of the Balfour Declaration was for Britain to facilitate the establishment in what was now being recognised as Palestine, a national homeland for the Jews. Yeah, so the, the uh, Balfour Declaration of 1917, Britain was proposing that Jews set up a homeland, right? a homeland in this territory and also allowed for Arabs living there to coexist. So back to the Bible. Let's see how those lands... the land uh, that we're considering from this book, God's book, gives us a history. Because there is a long history. But I want to start with this sweeping statement from Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 1, says that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Right? This is a foundation principle. So that was Genesis 1. Thanks. That's the Balfour Declaration. Mm -hmm. No, thanks. Balfour Declaration. Nothing fancy. Nothing fancy. The Declaration is this middle part, this middle section. That's the Declaration. Right. So Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Foundation principle of the Bible that God is the creator. The earth is his creation, and so is man, whom he placed upon the earth at the beginning with a command to multiply and to fill this earth. The same command was reiterated following that great flood that, uh, that wiped out all but eight people in the days of Noah. Only eight people out of the entire population of the earth survived the flood, as we read in, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 9. There's some verses. God blessed Noah and his sons. He said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The sons of Noah went forth from the ark. They were Shem, Ham and Japheth, and of them was the whole world overspread. Now, reiterating, God made the earth... So it's his. He told men to reproduce and to fill it and that spread was hastened when God mixed men's language. From all speaking one language, there was a confusion of language which transpired at an area which became known as Babel. Populations scattered. Moving out, they, they scrambled to find others that spoke the same language as they did. And here we read about it in Genesis 11. The whole earth was one language, one speech, and the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. Right? So, because God did confound the languages there. So it was called Babel. Now, there were men everywhere. They're all doing their own thing. Remember what we looked at earlier? God wants mankind to look to him as the creator. They want, he wants them to reverence him. That's the way it was at the beginning, but self got in the way and God's ways were pushed aside. Hence that reset button, the flood, that we read of in Genesis 6 verse 8 where it tells us that Noah found grace in the sight of God, but as we've noted, over the passage of time, things change. Attitudes change. Allegiances change. And while there is generally someone who acknowledges God, we see self exerted itself again in men's thinking. But God found another man, another man that he could work with. And we know of that man as Abraham. 
We first introduced to him in Genesis chapter 11, where we find him at that point living in the city of Ur. You are Ur of the Chaldees. We read in Genesis 11 verse 31, that's in the region of ancient Mesopotamia. In order to better work with Abraham, God calls him to leave his family circle and the society in which he lived and travel to a land that God would show him. And in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, we see that the Lord said to him, get away from your country, from your kindred, come away from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And ultimately, at the age of 75 years, he makes a break from his family and with his wife Sarah and his nephew and his household substance, he sets forward in Genesis 12 uh, verses 2 to 4, we read of that, and it reveals in those few verses that this new land God promised to develop through him and his descendants it would become a great nation. And verse 5 of this chapter tells us that he directed Abraham, or Abram as his name was then, a little later changed, so Abraham and Sarai, Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah. <coughs> the two of them and his nephew and all their substance <coughs> that he gathered, <coughs> they left Haran where they travelled to and, and camped there for a period. And then they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. into the land of Canaan. And it says, and so they arrived in Canaan. <coughs> Canaan, so named because the predominant inhabitants were the Canaanites. Now notice particularly what is stated in verses 6 and 8. It says he passed through until he came to a place called Shechem. And then he relocated this is coming down south into the land, comes to Shechem, then he comes a bit further south, he relocates between uh, two, two towns, two cities, Bethel and Ai. Subsequently, he journeys on southward. But there's an amazing announcement made by God in verse 7, which we cannot overlook. Genesis 12, verse 7. It says that the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto you and your seed I will give this land. Okay, he brought him down into this land, the land he was going to show him. You're in the land, I'm going to give it to you. And there Abram built an altar unto the Lord that appeared to him. Right, God's confirming this land to Abraham and his descendants. The words couldn't be stated more plainly, could they? They are not ambiguous. Now, what area are we talking about? The land of Canaan, he came down, I'll give it to you, and they nominate some towns that he's traversed through. I didn't bring my pointer, but we find he's come down from the north and we see Shechem there, number one, Shechem. Then he transfers down, see point two, between Bethel and Ai. That's where God made this declaration to him. And then we read in Genesis 13, it comes down further into Hebron. Now, what's the area? Well, it's centrally located on what's referred to as the mountains of Israel. This area, central area, we'll get the mountains of Israel. Also known as Judea and Samaria, or as the world now regards it, it's the West Bank, right? It's where these Palestinians occupy, the West Bank. And that's what it says there, so-called West Bank, in that shaded area. Now here's another map that gives us a bit of a better outline of where it was. He's come down into this area and we can see that area between Shechem in the north and Hebron in the south comprises that strip called the Mountains of Israel. So he said to Abraham who's standing there, I'm going to give you this land and your descendants. 
Well, this presents a bit of a conundrum, uh, I might suggest. One might suggest, I, I have an answer, I don't have a, you know, an issue with it. But who currently occupies the West Bank? Precisely, as we've just noted, the Palestinians. Who did God say he would give it to? Not to them, but to his friend, Abraham's family, as we've just read. Now, this assurance wasn't just given on that one occasion up there at Bethel. It's related and restated a number of times. In fact, after Abraham had come back to this special place, remember I said he went down to the south, well, he kept going. But when he came back after a period away, we see what God declares to him in Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> he said, lift up your eyes, look around, north, south, east and west, the whole thing, look right around. He said, for all the land which you see, to you will I give it, and to your seed, your descendants. In verse 17, it says, Arise, travel through it, walk through it. It says, walk through the length of it, walk through the breadth of it, with that divine assurance of inheritance. Genesis 15 shows us that the, uh, the, the promised territory is broadened. It extends eastward. We saw a hint of that in our reading from Deuteronomy chapter 11 tonight. But it takes in where we saw these other uh, markers, these points of reference. It takes in um, the river Euphrates across to the east. It goes down south. It talks about the river of Egypt. And there's a lot of peripheral territory referred to in Genesis 15 verses 18 to 21. Additional confirmation is made in Genesis 17 where we come across some interesting words which I suggest solves that conundrum that I hinted at a moment ago concerning occupation. We pick up on God's declaration in Genesis 17 verses 7 to 8. I will establish my covenant, uh, my covenant between me and you Talking to Abraham, God, me, Abraham, you, and your seed, your descendants, after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan. Okay, so we read earlier, he came down into the land of Canaan I'm going to give it to you for an everlasting possession and I will be your God, it says. Right? We note, the land you are currently dwelling in, Abraham, will become yours and your descendants for an everlasting possession. And I will be your God, their God. Now we must recognise that around this time period, Abraham had two sons, one was born to an Egyptian woman, Hagar, a handmaid of Sarah. And his name was Ishmael. The other son was Isaac, whose mother was Abraham's wife, Sarah, that we read of a moment back. Now we can see where the Palestinians might think that they've got a foot in the door here. Ishmael was the firstborn son of Abraham, and he's regarded as the father of the Arabs. Ishmael, son of Abraham, is the father of the Arabs. And Palestinians are Arab stock. Therefore, they are descendants of Abraham, and they acknowledge that, and they acknowledge it through Ishmael. Now, many years later, Abraham married another woman, Keturah. And she bore him uh, several more sons, but by this stage God's promises had been established and this late family has no particular bearing on our subject now. But I just mentioned in passing that there were other children. However, we must read on because Genesis 17 verses 19 to 21 
we find that God is going to establish an everlasting covenant with Isaac and his descendants. Right? That second son of Abraham, Isaac and his descendants. As for the first son, Ishmael, God assures Abraham that he would bless him too and would make him a numerous people. And then he reaffirms, having said that, yes, I'll look after Ishmael. He'll be a, he'll be a you know a, a big nation, and he is was. But he says in verse twenty one, but and he uses the word, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac. This covenant, these uh, commenced with Abraham, and to put, it, to put it beyond any form of uncertainty. God declares this all over again, Genesis 21, verses 12 to 23. He restates it. Now, surely, this is what we would call having good faith, steadfast as an oak. Now, what have we discovered so far? A quick review. God created the earth. It is his. He can do what he likes with it. Why? Because he says, all the earth is mine. He pronounced that in Exodus chapter 19. All the earth is mine. Now we saw that he scattered man across the face of the earth and that he had special dealings with an individual, Abraham, to whom he made some grand promises. They are called covenants. These include a, pers- a, personal, a personal blessing of greatness for Abraham and that he would inherit the land which area we know today as Israel. We saw that on the map, didn't we? That area. And it's going to, the promise was passed down to his descendants. Not through Ishmael. This promise of inheritance of this land, this territory that you see, wasn't going to come down through Ishmael. He's the father of the Arabs. It was through Isaac, the progenitor of the Jewish people. Two streams. One inherits this land, the other doesn't. Now, the other point that we read was, I will be their God. Their God. Now, we know that the Arabs, who follow Islam, do not acknowledge the same God as is worshipped in Judaism. Judaism. So, I will be their God is a different God to whom they worship those Palestinians that inhabit that land. Another important fact is that God reiterated these promises to Isaac and then to his son, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's where the name comes from. Jacob had 12 sons who went on to become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it is from him that the nation traces its name. We read of these people as the children of Israel. Here's just a a family tree, if you like, showing the descendants' lineage uh, starting from Abraham at the top. Comes down, we've got Hagar, the handmaid, of his wife Sarah, who has Ishmael, but the promises of the seed come down through Isaac to Jacob, and then the twelve tribes of Israel, the children of Israel. And eventually, if you followed it down, which isn't our subject, we see it comes down to Jesus Christ through one of those heads of the tribe, the tribe of Judah. Now, we don't need to spend time looking at that history Suffice to say that this history is clearly outlined in the Bible. We've also seen that both the earth and man are God's creation. And in Acts 17 it declares that God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And it continues with this, I think, remarkable comment. It says in Acts 17, verse 26, that God has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, 
God has determined in advance who will dwell where and when. Quite apart from his dealings with the nation of Israel, we see over and over in his prophetic pronouncements the rise and fall of nations and empires throughout the ages. Yes, the Bible even reveals these momentous events. So Israel. Deuteronomy 11 verse 12. It informs us there that this land holds a special place in God's estimation. We read it tonight at the outset. Before we started our talk, we were introduced to this reading in Deuteronomy 11 and you may have noticed in verse 12 these interesting words, the land which the Lord your God, it's a land which he cares for. The eyes of the Lord are always upon it. Right, this land, from the beginning of the year, even to the end of the year, God cares for that land. His eyes are upon it and he says, I'm going to let you have it, Abraham, my land. You have it and your descendants forever. Well, God refers to this place as the Holy Land. That's what he calls it, the Holy Land in Zechariah 2 verse 12. And the people to whom he has promised inheritance and possession are described in the 8th, uh, verse 8, sorry, verse 8 of that chapter tw- uh, 2, Zechariah 2 verse 8, he calls them the apple of his eye. So this is his holy land that he cares for and watches over and the people he's got in there are the apple of his eye. His favoured land and his favoured people. A fact that he reinforces time and again, calling them a holy people, a special people. For example, in Leviticus 20 and verse 26, Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8, these are the expressions, a chosen people to him. And remember Jesus' words, salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. More than that, he was born to be king of the Jews. To be king of the Jews. Hasn't yet, but he will be their king. He was a descendant of Abraham, as we saw a moment ago, through Isaac, in whom all these promises of God would be realised and fulfilled. Now, this is telling us something. It's telling us, if it's through Jesus Christ, that these promises have a long tail. It's, it's not one of those then-and-there scenarios. Okay? It's got a long tail till it's outworked. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking that in, in view of what we've discussed thus far, that everything would be smooth sailing for these descendants of Abraham through Isaac and the land would be handed to them on a silver platter, so to speak. Nothing could be further from the truth. Certainly the promises stand sure and the ultimate inheritance is guaranteed by a sworn oath from God himself. But it didn't constitute, these promises didn't constitute a free pass for those people, for the Jews. It was imposed on them to display the same sort of faithful adherence to God as those forebears did to whom the promises of and assurances of the inheritance were given. They had to follow that same steadfast attitude, but did they? Did they? Well, the sad record of the Bible reveals otherwise. It says they turned their back on God, and so God declared to them in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 11, just as one example, he says, I will correct you in measure. Okay, now that word measure is the word mishpat. Mishpat. It's it's a measure. uh, It's defined as a penalty and a period that is divinely determined as appropriate. Right? A penalty and a period. It's a measure. It's a measure of a time and it's a measure of a penalty. So what's appropriate? 
And he adds then in, Deuteronomy, uh, in, Je- in Jeremiah 30, in verse 11, and he says, I will correct you in measure, right, this appropriate time and quantity, and he says, I will not leave you altogether unpunished, right, which means I will not acquit you. I'm going to correct you, I'm going to correct you, and I'm not going to acquit you. Now, you recall at the outset I spoke about the Roman dispersion of the Jews. It wasn't their first dispersion. Being driven from their lands uh, at the hands of earlier conquerors uh, several times uh, it is well documented in their scriptures, our Bible. But it was certainly their longest, this last diaspora dispersion has been ongoing for the past 2,000-odd years. Listen to these declarations from Deuteronomy 28. Pronounced to the children of Israel as they stood poised, ready to go into their inheritance the first time around, 1,400 years before the Romans scattered them, that is, some 3,400 years ago from now. This long chapter, Deuteronomy 28, records blessings and cursings that would come their way dependent on their relationship with God. That relationship waxed and waned throughout their history in the land. And so did their fortunes or misfortunes as a result. Some of the things in the long and tragic curse list of Deuteronomy 28 are these. Thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all the nations whither the Lord shall lead you. Verse 37. The Lord shall bring a nation against you from afar from the ends of the earth as swift as the eagle flieth. A nation whose tongue, whose language, you won't understand. A nation of fierce countenance. Verses 49 to 50. And and he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt which you were afraid of. And they shall stick to you, it says. They'll cleave to you. Also every sickness, every plague, until you are destroyed and you will be left few in number. Verses 60 to 62. And the Lord shall scatter you among all people from one end of the earth to the other. And among these nations you'll find no ease. Neither shall the sole of your foot have rest. And you'll have none assurance of your life. In the morning you'd say, would God it were evening. And in the evening you'd say, would God it were morning. Verses 64 to 67. Graphic and sad. And that wasn't the half. What I read wasn't the half of what was pronounced against them here. If, as these chapters, as the chapter states, they, it says in verse 15, if they will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord their God to observe and do all his Commandments and his statutes. They were to serve him with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Verse 47 in that chapter said, Well, the history of the Jews has attested that these prophecies came true, and it's only in our history, our time, that a reversal of fortune is being witnessed. This is all God's plan, and it's his timing. That correcting in measure, as I said, correcting in measure. That penalty and that period that is determined as divinely appropriate, the mishpat. Now, it was in verse 11 of Jeremiah 30 that I spoke to you about earlier, uh, pronouncing what would happen about that correction in measure and not leaving them unpunished, But I didn't mention the first part of that verse. The first part of that verse, 11, said, For I will be with thee, 
says the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations whither I scatter thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. Right, so then he goes on to say what he'll do to them. But he says he's going to regather them and he's going to judge the nations where they were sent into exile. The next chapter, Jeremiah 31, pronounces this in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare this in the isles afar off. Right, so everyone pay attention. He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. It's starting to sound a lot more hopeful now, isn't it? The children of Israel were scattered away from Israel and they will be regathered. Do we know where they'll be gathered to? Definitely. That land. That land that God said was his land and covenanted that he would ultimately give to Abraham and his descendants forever, that land that we've been discussing this evening. Beautifully summarised. These ideas are beautifully summarised in Psalm 105, verses 4 to 14. A nice little summary you might like to read sometime. Psalm 105, verses 4 to 14. Which land? Well, it's beyond dispute when we turn to other scriptures that announce it in loud and clear terms, such as Ezekiel 11, verse 17, that land which they had all those years ago and lost through captivity, but which God still refers to as your own land. They had it, they lost it, but God still refers to it as your own land in Ezekiel 36, verse 24. Right, it says specifically in chapter 11, verse 17, I'll gather you from the people, I'll assemble you from all these countries that you've been scattered to, and I will give you, what? The land of Israel. I'll give you the land of Israel. Can't argue with that. Chapter 36, verse 24. I'm going to take you from among the nations and gather you out of the countries. I'll bring you into your own land, and you know which land that is, he's saying. Well, in a remarkable scene that is spoken of as the dry bones prophecy, we come across words that bed this down for us, this whole concept that we've been going through tonight. We note what God declares in Ezekiel 37, verses 11 and 12. In those verses, we read, He said unto me, Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost, we're cut off from our parts. That's what they thought. But therefore... Prophesy unto them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold my people, I will open your graves. This is their national graves where they're scattered throughout these countries. I'll cause you to come out of your graves. What am I going to do? He says, I'm going to bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 12. The valley of dry bones. Prophetic. right? And it says there in verse 6, I'm going to lay sinews upon you and I'll bring flesh upon you. I'll cover you with skin, I'll put breath in you and you shall live. You'll live. And then I'll bring you into the land of Israel. Now we skip ahead to verse 21 of this chapter 37. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'll take the children of Israel from among the nations, whether they be gone, I'll gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. Okay, see this, it's not just a one-off thing you read, it's repeated and repeated. So you cannot overlook it or mistake, mistake what's being said. And we call this the modern day miracle of the resurrection of national Israel. 
Right? They, they are brought back into God's land, it says, their land, I'll give you back your land. 1948 witnessed the reality of this millennia-old prophecy. This is written 500 years before Christ, two and a half thousand years ago. This was prophesied. Israel was declared a nation once again, 1948, and was recognised by the UNO. God's word has been vindicated. Although any hope for scattered Israel had long passed the uh, forgotten mists of time, passed into, sorry, the forgotten mists of time in the minds of, of men generally. But as the Apostle Peter declares, God isn't slack, right? He's not slack, slow, tardy. He's not slack concerning his promises, as some men would reckon these things. And there's a multitude of Bible references we could reflect on to confirm that God will work through his people once again. However, that's not our specific title tonight. We have tonight concentrated on God's claim to the land. Israel, God's land, and what he does to exercise his right to do as he will with that land. But he will never forego his intense association with this land. And here's an offer from God that, in my opinion, is too good to pass up. It's from Isaiah 57, verse 13. He that puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Now, our last reference is from Ezekiel 37, uh, verses 27 and 28. He says in Ezekiel 37, 27 and 28, My tabernacle, my, my dwelling place, shall also be with them. Yes, I will be their God and they shall be my people and all nations shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Well, beyond all question, Israel is God's land. That's Bible truth. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.